It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Tanya Selvaratnam, author of Assume Nothing, which was the harrowing, wonderfully written, just beautifully courageous book about her relationship with um, controlling predator, former Attorney General Eric Schneiderman. Uh, Tanya, thank you so much for being here on Domestic Violence Awareness Month. You were the person that we wanted to talk to the most. Oh, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. It is it's just so rare that you get a first person account like this. And the fact that you you did it not just to tell your own story, but to help other uh, victims of intimate partner violence recognize the signs in their own relationships and help plan a roadmap to get out. That's really the piece that I want to focus on today, because it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Um, What do you what is your message to people, let's start with the victims themselves, people who might be in that kind of a relationship, especially now when the pandemic has isolated everybody so much more than we were in 2019. Um, what, what do you hope to reach those folks with today? Well, in addition to this being Domestic Violence Awareness Month, this year is the 25th anniversary of the National Domestic Violence Hotline, and it's also the 30th anniversary of the testimony of Anita Hill this Mm -hmm. month. And when I was coming forward, Anita Hill was a beacon for me. And uh, she has said, everyone likes to remind me that I did not win. I like to say I won because I shared my story and people became much more aware of a problem that has been plaguing all of us. And so my message to victims and survivors is they're not alone they're not crazy there is help out there for them and it's okay to feel traumatized but please do not feel ashamed there is so much shame and stigma that comes with being a victim or survivor of domestic violence and we have to take that shame out of it because there are so many of us one of the things um that has become more common um, when we're talking about um, domestic violence and intimate partner violence is the ways in which uh, abusers use technology. Um, And I just retweeted a thread that you had that was excellent, which I think everybody, um, you know, if you are on Twitter, go check out what I just retweeted. But can we go through some of the behaviors and warning signs that folks should consider um, when it comes to the way technology, you know, your phone, your email, your passwords, those kinds of things can be utilized to um, trap survivors in these abusive situations? Well, it, uh, it was very important for me to share the different forms of intimate partner violence. And what people don't recognize enough is that digital abuse is a form of intimate partner violence. And some of the signs of that abuse include controlling your passwords, searching your phone, monitoring you. I've had many friends whose 
partners or former partners have surveilled them. That is a form of abuse. Insulting uh, you on social media. Sexual abuse, known as revenge porn, when people, you know, when abusive partners post uh, incriminating photos of you, embarrassing photos. And also one that's especially insidious is setting up a false profile of you online to destroy your reputation, which is also known as spoofing. That the, that feels um, that feels just as violating as anything that happens in the the non cyber world. Yes, that, that feels just as destabilizing as somebody taking away your credit cards. Well, it's it's you know it's identity theft plus plus. Right, it's right. De- attempting to destroy you and your reputation and really take over your life. And it's unfortunately very common. So. You you had a really excellent Instagram post that basically walked through what somebody who found themselves in this situation should do. And one of the first things that you say is to document what's happening. So I just I just want to spell that out because I, I don't think that most people in that situation would immediately think about writing down what was happening to them in that moment. Um and yet it becomes incredibly important. So talk a little bit about why in real time documentation matters. Well, there, there are many reasons why it matters, but in particular, it matters should you be in a situation where you have to provide some type of evidence that you were a victim. Having contemporaneous documentation like email exchanges, photographs can be very, very important. You know, the bar at which abuse becomes a crime is so high and Mm -hmm. the burden is so much on the victim to provide evidence of that abuse. So documentation is very important. And in addition to documentation, telling someone it's very hard to open up to your friends and loved ones about the abuse you are experiencing. But confiding in someone you trust not to tell anyone else is very important and if you are the loved one of someone whom you suspect is in an abusive relationship, reach out to them, be non-judgmental, and ask them questions because you never know when they might be ready to talk. In terms of the documentation piece, how would you go about documenting emotional abuse? Because you, you couldn't take photographs of that. Would you just describe the behavior? Would you try to sort of like recreate sort of the dialogue and the conversations? Would you, I mean, like what would that, what form would that take when you're talking about abuse that you couldn't document through a photo? So emotional abuse can be documented in forms such as email exchanges between yourself and your abuser. Also journaling, uh, taking notes, it, it, in my case, I'm an intrepid journaler. I have been since I was a child, uh, especially as an introvert. And I encourage people to write out what they're experiencing. And it's not something that might come naturally to people, but I feel that by spreading that advice, I can hopefully encourage more people to do so. In terms of the 
the people that you would want to talk to, that you would want to tell was happening uh, with your own life. You said that it was important to find somebody that you could trust not to tell anybody else, which I think raises a question about being that friend, about being that bystander. I would have a hard time if a, a girlfriend confided in me that that was happening, not trying to marshal resources on her behalf immediately. Like, that's just how my brain works. Like, I just want to kick into like, OK, here's here's where we need to do. Here's what you do. I got to let this person know. We got to let this person know. We got to create a community of support, all of that. Talk through what the person on the receiving end of a call like that should actually do in order to be the most helpful to the person in the situation themselves. What? What you just described as your reaction is what I hope that more people would do, because too often, you know, too often um, people, they don't want to get involved or they don't want to oh. interfere or they don't want to be too judgmental. But um, if your friend is confiding in you that she is a victim of intimate partner violence, you want to be that lifeline to that friend. And also to have resources at your disposal that you can provide to your friend. Like I can talk about in my situation. I had a friend uh, who's like my sister who suspected that something was wrong and asked me questions that eventually got to the answer that mm -hmm. I was being physically abused. And she, knowing that she was not able to take me from that point forward, asked if I would be willing to talk to a friend of hers who's a domestic violence expert. And I said yes. And after I spoke with that domestic violence expert, it was like the scales fell off of my eyes mm. and I knew that I had to get out. And I was so broken at that point that I couldn't get out myself. But that's another important message is that every victim is different and there's no one size fits all approach. And it's important to speak to an expert who can help you figure out what to do and who can customize a safety plan. Having that friend who is like, hey, wait, what you're describing um, doesn't sound healthy is very important. I know that in my own life, I've been had, you know, a lot of um, experience with intimate partner violence, but definitely like controlling behavior, manipulative behavior, um, like physical bullying, like, but not, touch like not hitting but like blocking doors and things like that and I remember I it was when I was young too um I think I was only 19 and I remember like describing this argument to a friend of mine and her being like what you just told me is abusive that is not okay and I just remember being like oh wait maybe I should like you know look at um this situation in a different way and i think that was so helpful to me because it was something it, it wasn't judgmental the way she said it it was like concern it was care it came from a place of compassion and and sort of she wasn't condescending like you didn't know this is a problem um it was like that doesn't sound right um that doesn't sound healthy i mean do you do you um encourage people to to speak in that way like to to respond like if somebody is telling them saying like telling them like hey that doesn't sound quite right um i mean people can be defensive in that situation um but i think it is important it's a good mo it's like a it is this the scales off the eyes moment when somebody else is telling you 
the situation that you've just been living through might not be quite healthy for you. When, when you are the person in the abusive relationship, it can be very hard to see out of it because you have been so manipulated to the point that you lose sight of yourself. And often it takes an, somebody outside of yourself, a friend, a sister, a, you know, a loved one who can be that mirror for you and say, hey, this is not okay, what you're experiencing. But what is what needs to really improve in our society is that people can recognize the signs of abuse. It's not something that we are conditioned to recognize. No. You know, and I feel like if we have kind of domestic violence training and awareness in our basic sex education courses from the time mm -hmm. we are young, we will more readily spot it when we find ourselves in that abusive relationship and we will be more able to tell our friends who are in abusive relationships, hey, you need to really stand up for yourself. Like we're not trained to stand up for ourselves. I wasn't given self-defense training when I was in elementary school or in high school. And I feel like that is essential to building a less violent world. One of the I, other I think things. That, oh, go ahead, Z. One of the other things I was thinking about as well is that intimate partner violence is something that younger people, younger and younger people are experiencing, especially with the tools that I was talking about earlier, the technology phones, mm -hmm. the social media platforms. Um, and one of the things that scares me a little is that because we're not talking about intimate partner violence in the way you just said, which is in as a part of sex education, as a part of um, when when folks are young, they think that certain behaviors that they see in like pop culture or that they've seen up close in their own families and friend groups um, that those behaviors are healthy. So one of the things I was kind of joking about um, was it yesterday or today? I can't even remember. Um, <laughs> all the days blend together. <laughs> but we were talking about um, the show You on Netflix. I probably was talking about this like not even on the show because everything blends together. It's like, was I having this conversation on air or off air? Um, but we were talking about the show You. And one of the things that the show I think does well is that it's actually a critique of, about some of these toxic behaviors that men engage in. Um, and, and the ways in which a lot of those stalking behaviors like in romantic comedy movies and in popular culture are seen as positive traits. Um, but they, they pop up a lot in the show you where like the character will be like, that's crazy. Stop doing that. <laughs> um, and it's like the, the, the scene from J say anything with John Cusack that we're all supposed to think is romantic when it's stalking. Um, can you talk about the ways in which um, young people are experiencing intimate partner violence in the ways in which we can get them to see, you know, some of these behaviors they may, may even see in pop culture or their friends engage in um, as unhealthy and toxic. Well, Zerlina, you and I are very much in sync. Yesterday, I was giving a speech uh, in, Ch in Chicago, where I am right now, to the network, which is a coalition of domestic violence organizations in Illinois. Mm -hmm. And I was talking about how we have these harmful gender justice narratives that are very, very popular. And one of them includes the series You, which just was renewed on Netflix. 
you are, you know, there are these kind of tone deaf attempts to say that shows like you are critiques of that behavior. But when you make that behavior look so sexy and when the protagonist is so good looking, it, it's, it's hard to see the critique of it. Um, and even with all of the advances in talking about abuse and talking about gender justice, the reality is that the narratives we see in popular culture are still very harmful. The narratives that we see in our news cycle are very harmful. Just in the last few months, we've had the release of Bill Cosby. We've had the announcement of the FBI having botched the investigation of Larry Nassar, who abused hundreds of gymnasts. We've had the hashtag Free Britney movement in the news. So these situations of uh, harmful gender justice narratives are very problematic because they have an indelible impact on young people who are viewing them on social media, on their televisions, on their devices. And I think that what happens is harmful behaviors become normalized because they're seeing them in the media. So what we need to do is figure out like how to hold um, these platforms and uh, media companies more accountable for the images and narratives that they're propagating and to get them to incorporate more positive gender justice narratives because they do have an impact on young people. And we've seen during the pandemic how increasingly isolated young people are from each other and how much more dependent they are on their devices. So mm -hmm. it's like there's an unbrainwashing that needs to happen to encourage people to be, you know, to embrace peace and kindness more than violence and bullying. Doesn't it always seem to come down to that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we just need people to be kinder and more compassionate. And we also need people who are like content makers and creators to understand that that's that's part of the the what they need to put into the bloodstream. I, I know we only have a minute left, so I, I want to ask you if if there is somebody listening who is taking this conversation to heart and reevaluating or maybe or in the initial stages of evaluation of this kind of unhealthy relationship we it's the 25th anniversary of the domestic violence hotline what what are some of the resources that she or or he or they should be looking for right now well i would say like the, the first first step is to acknowledge for yourself what you're going through the second step would be to reach out to someone you can confide in and then the third step would be to get help and that help is out there for you and i would say you know look to the hotline and it's just the hotline.org and the number is 1-800-799-7233 and the hotline is kind of a it can be kind of a centralized place to find information and also to connect you with an expert who can talk to you because there's the legal services, the mental health counseling services, um, and the domestic violence uh, uh, services that, that, that are out there for you. So that would be my advice, those three steps. But first, recognize that you're not alone and you're not crazy. 
Tanya mm-hmm. Silveratnam, thank you so much for joining us and also putting your book, Assume Nothing, into the world. Um, I highly recommend it for anybody who wants to learn more about this issue. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you.